0: Karen is a lady living in the south of England. She's a real person. I've just changed her name. She had a daughter who was born with a life-changing condition. And Karen had to give up everything to care for her daughter. She spent years taking her in and out of hospital, there staying in hospital with her. Ah, She gave herself to caring for her daughter with this life-changing condition. During that time, her husband walked out on the family and left them. But Karen continued to be devoted to her daughter as she cared for her, lost sleep for her. Uh, I'm sure her health was damaged by the work she put into her. That is faithful love. That's faithful love. It's not how Hollywood portrays love. It's not the sort of thing you'd see in any Hollywood romantic film. But there's more love there, in Karen's example, than any romantic film or anything Hollywood produces. Now, I'm sure we'd all like to have someone faithfully love us. Faithful love is a a precious, it's a desirable thing. And Ruth chapter 3 shows us faithful love in action. Let's turn again to Ruth chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, there are plenty on the shelves at the back there. Please do help yourself because we're going to be going through this chapter and it will really be a help to have it in front of you. Ruth chapter 3, and the notice sheet tells you the page numbers. It's a little book towards the start of the Bible, between Judges and 1 Samuel. We've been going through the story of Ruth for a few weeks now. Let me just remind you, and for those who haven't been here, just give you an idea of what the story's like. It's about Naomi, an Israelite lady who, whose family die while they had left Israel to go to a foreign land to look for food, to escape famine. And Naomi is left with only her daughter-in-law, Ruth, who is a foreigner. And Naomi goes back to her homeland of Israel, and Ruth insists on coming with her. And there they live in Israel, but in grinding poverty surviving by going round the field behind the harvesters, picking up any bits left over to get enough to eat. And Ruth does that in the field of a rich man named Boaz. And that's got us to chapter 3. There's a lot more to it, and there's so much in this book that I'm having to miss out. It's so rich, I'm having to resist the temptation to try to point it all out. Now, we're going to go through chapter 3, but first of all, what is the point of hearing a story from the Old Testament? The Old Testament's a lot harder work than the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. What's the point of hearing a story from the Old Testament? Well, there's a chapter in the New Testament that's a helpful case study of using the Old Testament. We won't turn to it now, but sometime you, it, you might find it helpful to read 1 Corinthians 10. And 1 Corinthians 10 takes part of the Old Testament and uses it three ways. It uses it as history, showing how God's promised King and Saviour would come. It's real history. It uses it as examples, showing how we should live. Some people are a bit sniffy about us finding moral examples in the Old Testament, but they are there. We are supposed to spot examples and copy them. Or spot bad examples and avoid them. And then it uses the Old Testament a third way, which is pictures of Jesus. The Old Testament is full of pictures of Jesus. Pictures to make us appreciate Jesus. Now, when, God willing, we get on to Ruth chapter 4, that's where the history is made clear. The history of how God's promised King and Saviour would come. But here in chapter 3, this gives us examples of the faithful love that we should copy. And chapter 3 gives us pictures of Jesus and his faithful love. So now we're going to go through chapter 3. I'm going to tell you the story. And as I do, look for both of those things. How Ruth, Naomi and Boaz are examples, especially of faithful love. And how we have pictures of Jesus and his faithful love. Let's get the story. Scene one is Naomi's plan. Verses one to four. Naomi's plan. Naomi is scheming. What is she scheming about? Verse one. One day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? She's scheming about getting a husband for Ruth. She's trying to be a matchmaker. Have you met any matchmakers? They can be helpful. They can be a right pain in the neck. Naomi's the helpful kind. But this aim of Naomi also tells us a theme lying behind the chapter. We'll find this keeps happening in chapter three. You can see the story on the surface, but there's a theme below it. If you've got a Bible like mine, it's got a footnote telling you a more literal translation. Where it says, should I not try to find a home for you? It's actually, should I not try to find a rest for you? Try to find rest. She's trying to find rest for Ruth. But in the Bible, rest is more significant than just getting a husband and a nice home to live in. Rest is quite a theme of the Bible. I'll give you two examples. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And later in the Bible, the book of Hebrews explained that. It said that rest is heaven, resting with God, having been freed from all the wearying troubles of our sin and this sin-infected world. One of the big themes of the Bible is us finding rest from our sin and this sin-infected world. And verse 1 is hinting to us, chapter 3, has a bigger theme than the husband for Ruth. It's a picture of us finding God's rest. So, Naomi is scheming. She wants to find a husband, a suitable husband. A suitable husband. This is the theme of, well, this is what's going on in verse 2. Finding a suitable husband. You see, who would want to marry Ruth? She really is a bad catch in the eyes of the time because she is a foreigner and a widow and so poor. And they may not be the sort of things that we would consider coming up in a romance, but they mattered. Then, maybe they matter now. But in chapter two, Boaz had arrived on the scene and that changed everything. You see, he was a kinsman. That means a close relative. And God's law said a kinsman should protect and provide for the poor. Now, in some circumstances, that meant marrying the poor woman to raise up sons to carry on the name of her previous husband who died. But you've got to remember that Ruth and Naomi lived in very wicked days. The previous book judges had described just how wicked and God's law was ignored and so there's no way that they could presume that this was going to happen and it would all work out and the law didn't nail everything down it left a lot open to would the kinsman have faithful love what's his character like so Naomi and Ruth can't presume this is going to work out Now, again, even in verse 2, again we have the words tell us a theme behind chapter 3 because this word kinsman is really significant. You might remember back in chapter 2, verse 20, Naomi had said about Boaz, he is one of our kinsmen redeemers. The kinsman was someone you could ask to redeem you. What does that mean? Pay to rescue you out of poverty. It might be in your poverty you'd sold yourself into slavery and the kinsman would redeem you, he'd buy you out of slavery. It may be in your poverty you'd sold all your fields and you could no longer grow food for yourself and the kinsman would redeem your fields, buy them back for you and you could provide for yourself again. Naomi is hoping Boaz would act as a kinsman redeemer for them. But children, who's the redeemer in the Bible? When you hear the word redeemer, is there someone you think of? Who paid the price to free us from slavery to sin? You see, in Ruth chapter 3, Boaz is a picture of Jesus, our kinsman, our close relative, redeemer. Well, Naomi's scheming, She's, in verse 2, got her eye on a suitable husband for Ruth. And in verses 3 to 4, she has a thoughtful plan, a thoughtful plan. Naomi uses her brain. So, verse 3, she picks a good time. It's barley harvest. Sorry, this is back in verse 2. Boaz will be happy and relaxed because the harvest is in. That's a good time to pop the question. She thinks about practicalities. Verse 3, even how Ruth looks and even how she smells. Yeah, she's practical about this. Notice faithful love is not foolish love. Here's a bit of an aside. It's going slightly off topic, but it is raised by this question. It isn't wrong to want to be attractive. Here, Naomi wants Ruth to be attractive. But the question is, who do you want to attract? That's the question. Think of in your garden. budliers attract butterflies. Lavender attracts bees. Manure attracts blue bottle flies. And some clothes are the equivalent of manure. They attract the wrong sort of person. Naomi wants Ruth to be attractive. Don't smell bad. Put on your best clothes. She doesn't say put on those leggings that will just show your figure completely and that top that will leave nothing to the imagination. That's clothes like manure. You, if you wear them, will attract. You'll attract just the wrong sort of person. Don't wear clothes like manure. It's not wrong to want to attract, but think, who will these clothes attract? What sort of character? Will they attract? Naomi uses her brain. Let's get back onto the subject in verses 2 and 3. She's she's careful. She says, in the dark, make sure you don't get the wrong man. Note carefully who is where and make sure you go to Boaz. Now, let's be thankful Naomi hadn't read some books on guidance. She hadn't read some books on guidance that won't be any help to you. She wasn't passive. She planned. She didn't wait around for a mystical feeling about, is Boaz the right man? No, she knew it isn't our job to guess God's secret will. It's our job to obey God's revealed will, the Bible, and be wise about how we do it. You see, we've seen that Naomi is a woman of faith, that God is in control of everything. We saw that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, but that didn't stop her using her brain and saying, let's be careful, let's be thoughtful. Here's an example. Lee and Rachel have firm faith in God. I've I've made these people up, in case there's anyone here called Lee or Rachel. They have firm faith in God's control of everything. And and they're very laid back about how to bring up their teenage son and daughter. So they let them choose whether or not to come to church. And they, they don't monitor what their children watch on YouTube, in their bedrooms, on their own. Because God's in control and it's all in his hands whether they're saved or not. No, Lee and Rachel need to learn from Naomi. Faith combined with careful thoughts. That's true for parenting. It's true for looking for work. It's true for looking for a spouse. It's true for how we spread the gospel. Naomi's a good example. Trust in God's control and careful thought. About the scene one, Naomi's plan. Here's scene two, Ruth and Boaz, verse five to 15. What does Ruth do? Verse five. What Ruth does is exactly what Naomi said. And There's so much in this chapter I'm going to have to skip over and I wish I could pause on. But Ruth is such an example of faithful love in her submissiveness to her mother-in-law. And so what does Ruth do? Well, just what Boaz said Uh, Sorry, Naomi said, when Boaz is asleep, she pulls back the blanket over his feet. uh, Well, back from his feet and she lies down at his feet and lies there and waits. Now, this is not a recommended way to get a husband. Okay, anyone here looking for a husband, this is not a recommended way. If you want a husband, feel free to go online and go to a Christian conference and get out and meet people or whatever is the way. But don't go and lie down beside them and pull the blanket back at night and see what happens. Don't. That is not what this is here for. Then we get verse 8. Now, verse 8 is more jumpy in the original language than our English translations. Verse 8 is something like this. Midnight, something startled the man. He turned. Behold, a woman. Shock, horror. It's something like that. It's very jumpy in the original language. And so there is some, Andy read it expressively, but he should really have whispered, because surely verse 9 was whispered. Who are you? He asks. And he finds out who she is. She's Ruth. And Ruth asks some questions, verse 9. What does she ask, verse 9? Spread the corner of your garment over me. In the cultural context, Boaz would have been in no doubt this was a request to marry. That's what's going on here. To us it doesn't sound like it, but but we're not thousands of years ago in Israel. There it was very clear, just like I suppose getting down on one knee is pretty clear these days. This was a request to marry. But as as is often the case in Ruth, it was also a picture. It was a picture. Here was Ruth the outsider, the foreigner coming into God's family by a man, Boaz, showing kindness to her. And that is a picture of God's faithful love. In fact, we are told explicitly elsewhere in the Bible it's a picture of God's faithful love. I'll explain. Imagine a baby girl who has just been born, completely newborn. Her umbilical cord hasn't even been cut and she's still got the blood on her from the birth. And she's unwanted and she's thrown out into a field and left to die. And Ezekiel chapter 16, later in the Old Testament, says Israel was like that. Unwanted, vulnerable, undesirable. And then God came along and wanted her and rescued her and cared for her. And then Ezekiel chapter 16 says, I'll read you verse 8. Later I passed by and when I looked at you and saw that you were old enough for love, I spread the corner of my garment over you. Notice that? Exactly the same phrase. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. You see, the marriage of Ruth and Boaz and even the exact words are pointing to or a picture of what God did for his people. And all of that is pointing forward to what Jesus does for us. Anyone here wondering about Christianity? Anyone here wondering, what is it to be a Christian? Becoming a Christian isn't just choosing a religion and turning up to a religious organisation. Becoming a Christian is coming into relationship with Jesus. It's coming under his headship, like a husband. It's coming under his care, his protection, his provision, like a wife with a husband. The Bible says human marriages, including Ruth and Boaz's, are imperfect pictures of the real marriage, which is Jesus and his people. If you're not a Christian, you're amazed at what God offers you. A relationship with Jesus, thats like a husband and a wife. Headship, protection, provision, care, and the greatest love. So will you be like Ruth? Children, have you ever thought of this? Whether you're a boy or a girl, you need to be like Ruth. How? Well, she said to Boaz, take me to be yours. Unite me to yourself. And she's doing something risky. Really risky, isn't it? Especially in the days of Judges. If you know the book of Judges, it was a dangerous time for women to lie down next to a man in the dark and no one else knows you're there. Risky, but she trusts Boaz's character. Now, if Christianity was just taking a religious label and turning up to church, well, that picture would make no sense because there's no risk in that, at least in the UK today. But being a Christian is saying to Jesus, take me to be yours. Unite me to yourself. It's following him. It's pinning all your hopes on him. Being a Christian has a risk because it's saying, I will obey Jesus, whatever it costs, wherever he leads. However silly other people think it is, or even bad they think it is. And being a Christian is doing that because you trust Jesus' character. Let's see how Boaz replies. Verse 10 to 13. It's dark. Nobody else knows that Ruth is there. She's lying next to Boaz. He is deeply attracted to her. If this was a film, what would happen next? You all know what would happen next, and I hope you wouldn't be watching because it would be bad for you. But you know what would happen next. And the world says, and the devil says, that's love. That's love, isn't it? No, that's a lie of the devil who wants us to misuse and spoil God's good gift of sex. And it is a good gift, but it's spoilt when it's not in God's context of marriage. That isn't love, it's lust. That isn't manliness, it's weakness. Real manliness is be like Boaz, not bond. If anyone's not clear, that bond I meant is James Bond. Real manliness is be like Boaz, not bond. Real manliness, have a look at verse 10 and 11, esteems women and speaks kindly. He, He esteems her. You're a woman of noble character. He speaks so kindly to her in verse 10. Real manliness doesn't look down on women, nor flirt or flatter, which is another form of looking down. Real manliness values a woman of noble character, verse 11. Not just treat her as a pretty object. Real manliness obeys God's law. Doesn't just go with what you feel like doing. That's going on in verse 12. Because we get this, oh no, the mood music goes flat because there's another kinsman redeemer who's closer related. And the law says he gets first choice. Boaz is being pushed out. And Boaz doesn't say, nobody knows. Nobody will notice. Let's just do this. No, he says, we'll follow God's law. And if he will redeem you, that's good, because you'll be provided for. Real manliness obeys God's law. Real manliness protects and cares about the woman's reputation. Verse 12, no, sorry, verse Verse 13, don't go home at night, it's the days of the judges, it's dangerous. Verse 14, now go home quickly before anyone sees you've been here. Values her reputation. Real manliness protects women. And real manliness is generous and goes beyond what the law demands. That's going on in verse 13, where he says, if he doesn't marry you, I will. He doesn't have to, but he will. Verse 15, he makes sure she goes home with a great big gift. Men here, be like Boaz, not Bond. Boaz is the model of godliness. Bond is not. But all this is again, yet again, to show us something far more important. It's all a picture of the most manly man. Jesus. Have you thought of Jesus as the most manly man? Oh, he's the most manly man. He obeyed God's law fully. He put others' needs above his own. He went beyond what was required of him for the sake of others. His love was faithful. He was strong not to puff out his chest and look big, but to put himself out and go to the cross to win his bride to bring us outsiders into his family, under his care. Boaz is a great hero, but he's nothing. He's nothing compared with Jesus. Have you come under the care of Jesus? Very briefly, scene three, back to Naomi, verses 16 to 18, back to Naomi. Naomi's plan has been interrupted Boaz isn't the nearest relative. Someone else has the legal right to marry Ruth. I know this is really odd to us, but there, that's the way it worked. Ruth didn't get a choice. Someone else has got the legal right. But Naomi is confident Boaz can sort it out. So what does she say, verse 18? Verse 18, then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, just Wait. And if you know the Old Testament, you'll know that the word wait is often put for trust in God, especially in the Psalms. Wait on the Lord. Don't fret. Don't try to go ahead of God and sort it all out yourself. Wait. Trust him and his timing. Who is Ruth told to trust? Verse 18. Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. In other words, Boaz. She's gotta wait for Boaz to sort it out. For the man will not rest. Does that word rest ring a bell? Picture a library, a well-ordered library, and there's a bookshelf, and on, on either end of the shelf, to stop the books falling off, are bookends, and the bookends are labelled with what the books between them are all about. Get that? The shelf has bookends, and the bookends are labelled with what those books are all about. Now, Jewish literature often did that. It started and ended a section with bookends that showed what's in between. Verse 1, do you remember? It's all about finding rest. And verse 18 says... Ruth will find rest by Boaz not resting until he's got everything sorted out. And yet again, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He didn't rest. Oh, how he worked and worked. And he gave himself no rest, resisting temptation, not giving in to opposition, determined to go to Jerusalem, putting up with the injustice. Staying on that cross, enduring the taunts that were thrown at him, enduring all the punishment we deserve, he gave himself no rest until he'd done all that was needed to take us outsiders into his family, under his care, to bring us eternal rest in heaven.